Hey everyone and welcome back to The Deep Dish, a space where voices will be amplified, respected, listened to, and where the only requirement is that your belief and actions do not hinder the progression of the disenfranchised. It is my hope that my conversations with these incredible guests will be the sweetest treat in your day. Let's get to it. Hey y'all and welcome back to The Deep Dish. Today I'm so excited to have my friend. I don't know if I should actually call her that because she does really get on my nerves a lot of the time. So I'll say I'll say I have somebody on this uh, on this deep dish. Um, but she's a guest and so as you know I asked my guests to tell me you know how they would want to be introduced by the greatest hype person in the world and so this is what she said. This girl coming to the stage right now is the very epitome of strength and grace. She is known for her positive spin on the worst situations, all while keeping that infectious smile. She is sassy, confident, and ridiculous. Definitely ridiculous. But that's what makes her so personable. She's a mother, wife, daughter, aunt, sister, and one of the best friends, I don't know about that part, you could ever hope for to have in your corner, and that is Matisse. So today we have Matisse with us, and... uh, I guess I will call her a friend because, you know. Girl, you better don't make me call you TT. <laughs> <laughs> I hate her on so many levels. It's not even okay. But I do thank you for being on the podcast. You are definitely going to be the person that helps me restart it. Um, guys, you know, I've kind of been out. But I've been taking care of myself. I've been doing my thug dizzle. Been in. I'm not gonna say I've been in the streets because that sounds bad. But I've been enjoying my life. You've been in the streets. Oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> don't don't. Anyway, um. And so the way that we typically start this is I ask my uh, guests, "What was your favorite childhood dessert?" Ooh, strawberry shortcake. Mm. But the real kind, not the main kind. So, you know, Maine, they put biscuits. We don't know. In Georgia, we had the pound cake thingy Mm. with whipped cream strawberries. So my uh, grandmother, one of my grandmother's six husbands, he named me Strawberry Shortcake. So that was my thing. You did not (laughs) throw grandma under the bus like that. (laughs) She has Um, seven. (laughs) So my question is, is that what is the, what's your first childhood memory with Strawberry Shortcake? I, I was, I remember my parents were teenage parents. And so we moved here um, when they were, my dad was 21 or something. So they would send me to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And so it was my first summer there. And I got to have, my grandmother made it for me. And it was just like all my cousins were there. And I just remember family. It felt like family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, after being away, because Maine to Georgia, 1,500 miles. Even as a kid, I, f- I knew how much distance that was. So, yeah. What was, like what was that like going from Georgia to Maine? I, my parents will tell you I was a good traveler. I never complained. Um, I never had to stop to pee, nothing. I was just like, let's go. I was always a road run- runner from the beginning. Um but I just remember feeling like I never had home. Like I felt like we were always constant move, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just felt like my childhood was on the road. And you ended up going to like the most northern of places in Maine. Where did you where did you guys end up? <laughs> we ended up in Bath. My first picture up here 
was there was snow and me and my mom are in this big ice chunk like that was safe whatever but um and i remember being bundled up and it was cold and from the deepest deep of georgia mind you like we were my mom comes from colquitt which is an hour away from the georgia florida line and so they them deep deep south and um to go to the tundra man daddy all the places you could have picked he dropped us off in bath yeah how many was, black people did you see <laughs> None. Were y'all and that's what people would call. Like when we would call home, they'd be like, y'all seen any black people? Just us. Still just us. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it was like that when I moved here myself. Um, yeah. And so I was trying to think of how long I've known you. I try to, I try to pinpoint how long I've known someone when I interview them. And I really can't remember how long I've known you. But Mason was little. Mason wasn't even born. Mason wasn't Whoa. born. Wow. Mason wasn't even conceived when I met you. Really? Yes. I'll never forget the first time I came to church. Let's talk about that. What was that like for you? I you know what? Real talk. I'm gonna get chills because I I have never seen this woman since. Real story. I went there. I remember I called the office and Pastor was called me back, and I was not gonna go. I talked myself out of it and then I went. And so I was sitting in the very back pew, and this woman looked just like my grandma. She was light-skinned as light-skinned could be, and big puffy cheeks. And we were sitting there. It was prayer time, and she put her hand on me, and she led me to the altar. And she said, I, I could feel all your pain. And she led me to your daddy, Pastor Lewis. And I just cried to a man I had never even met, and I knew... I had found my church home, right? Um, because that was that was after a long hiatus of me stepping away from church and trying to know where I belonged and where my uh, heart was. Um, it, it was it was it still gives me goosies to think about it because I've never seen that woman since. I've never seen her. I don't mm. know who she was, <laughs> but you know that's how we are at Green. We t- we touch you. Come on, baby. Right. That's Not anymore. <laughs> COVID. COVID. Um. <laughs> Not anymore. Don't right. touch me. Well, I was always like that. <laughs> Look, um, yeah. Hi. I don't want hugs. Um, but I think the one thing that has uh, kept our friendship going is mutual respect for one another. Um, yeah. You know, I think people would be surprised to know how different, but how very similar we are. Um, in some things, I think people also, Matisse is the person that, um, we play fight. And so people think we're actually arguing and that we don't like each other. They don't need to know our love, Alyssa. Right. They don't. And so people are like, oh, I thought you guys didn't like each other. I'm like, no, we actually kind of ride pretty hard. Yeah. But I think I remember not believing, um, or not feeling like we could be friends, right? Because I think it's that thing that you've always dealt with, that people put a pastor's child on a pedestal. Uh-huh. I'm not living exactly right all the time. And so am I good enough uh-huh. to be her friend? And I remember I struggled with that a lot until we had, I think, our first yes breakfast. You, me, and Trish. That, yeah, I think that was like, I was like, okay, Alyssa, cool. I <laughs> so, I mean, 
you know, in, in your questions, uh, I asked you what you were passionate about and you said your faith, being a good mom and empowering women affected by substance abuse or sexual abuse. So I kind of want to go into, we can go and being a good mom first. Um, let's start with the part that kind of cracks your heart open a little bit. (laughs) Mason. My baby. Yeah. Yeah. My miracle baby. Mm, Let's talk about it. I don't know if you know the story about Mason, do you? No, let's go. So from my trauma, I was told at 16 that I would never have children. And so the first marriage, yeah, the first one, um, I had an atopic pregnancy and they had to take half of my tube. Um, And my, my husband, you know, he's 13 years my senior. So I figured this ain't never going to happen. I'm just going to be a stepmama. It's good. So fast forward, October 2011, I was having a procedure done. I had 40 cysts on my left, 20 cysts on my right. Wow. But in between is that little sack that was Mason. And so um, when I say he's my miracle, he's my miracle, right? Because he was never supposed to be. And so he fought tooth and nail to get here. So I'm obsessed with him, literally. Like, it's ridiculous. That's my boo. So what? So let's talk about what was it like when you found out you were pregnant? I, I knew. I knew before I went to the doctor because I just, you just have that feeling. And I called my mama and she said, there is no way. I'm like, there's some way. It's there. And then um, when I got that little ultrasound, um, it was it was the most incredible thing ever because I knew this one would be okay. Um, How did that impact your faith? Greatly. Mm-hmm. Greatly. That's when I started going every Sunday. Mm. And I remember getting down, and real talk, I remember getting down um, and just being so grateful. Um, every I've walked away from church a couple of times, and I have to have that moment, and I always do have that moment with God, just me and God sitting there. And when you go over all the things that you've overcome mm-hmm. or the things that you have been gifted, um, it's kind of hard not to have faith, Right. Um, but when you're in the hoopla of life, you're like, nobody loves me or what have you. But that gift is just not one that can ever, nothing can ever top that, you know? And did Mason in any way help you with your trauma or through your trauma? I uh, I don't think, I think he helped me make peace with my trauma. Mm. Before Mason, I was still very much broken. I was still very much, I restarted counseling the year before, actually. Um, And, but I didn't want my trauma to impact his life. Like, I didn't want to be that mom, like, nobody can touch my child. Nobody, you know, I didn't want to be hypervigilant while still being aware, but I didn't want it to impact him. So I had to make peace and forgive Mm -hmm. and let it go. Mm. So what were those steps for you? Hell. Mm. Hell. I remember I cussed out a therapist. He said, write a letter and forgive the person, persons. Um, Because my trauma didn't come in one step. It came in two. And um, I think the thing with my trauma, it's not actually so much the event, is I really felt that I was not meant to be loved unconditionally. Mm. Because my trauma happened at 
age six. The first part of my trauma happened at age six with a family member. So how is a kid ever going to feel like they should be loved or that they are loved when you are entrusting your care to someone who supposedly loves you? Um, but to, to be gifted with him, then I know I, I have unconditional love and I'm worthy. So um, I had to take those steps. They were necessary. But at the time, I didn't know forgiveness wasn't really for that person. Right. It was to let me off the hook. That was a hard lesson. Yeah, I think, you know, um, in preparing for this specific episode, I um, reached out to my parents and actually told them that I was a sexual assault survivor. And uh, it was the first time that I had ever uttered those words to them. And I went home and I cried because those were the only two people that did not know. Right. And I was telling or keeping it from them um, because I wanted to protect them because yes. my parents are my parents are crazy about their kids and are protective mm-hmm. about their kids and yeah, so um, but I felt keeping it from them or not talking about it or not being able to talk about it candidly was a way of me still holding on to that pain and I really wanted to let it go. Um, and I knew that this would be a topic that you and I specifically would talk about because we've talked about it before and I couldn't come to this table, to this podcast and not talk about it and not feel free in it. Um, because right. I didn't want this to be the first place that my parents heard that. Right. Right. Um, but we did, I, I know we've talked about just the amount of effort it takes to, overcome that amount of trauma. And so it's actually pushed you to want to empower other women. And how, how do you do that? How do you do that in your work? So I, in my work specifically, I, I always think things happen for a reason. And somehow I'm always put in an area where those affected by sexual abuse and trauma come to me. I, it's not even that I go seeking. Um, I had a, an amazingly strong young woman a couple weeks ago who was, um, a victim of human trafficking. She was held um, for over a year, bloodied, raped, repeatedly sold. And her story, that one hit different for me. Um, but for no other rhyme or reason, I was the one who was picked to do her intake, right? And I think it's it's not like everyone in my work knows or anything like that, but I'm just put in places where I can make that, that impact. Um, so um, I, I used to reach out a lot to sexual abuse and crisis. I used to do talks. Um, and now I just try to fill that void and empower in their case management um, mm-hmm. and just show them that there's life after. Right. Mm. Because when you're in trauma, it seems like that's it. Ain't nothing more than this. Right. Um, and you're figuring my trauma is like 30 some years old now. I'll be 40 next year. Right. Damn. Um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Um, but there are some days it yeah. comes back and it feels like yesterday. Mm. Right. Yeah. The interesting thing about what you just said, my parents, I kept, they knew about, let me specify. So at six, I was molested mm-hmm. at 13. I was raped. Mm-hmm. My parents knew about the latter. Mm. I held and protected them from the molestation because they sent me there. Right. 
I had to protect them because my mom, I'll never forget when she, when she learned of the rape soon thereafter, she said, I will never get away from the feeling knowing I didn't protect you. And when you're close to your parents, all you want to do is make them feel right. Cold, right. I don't mm-hmm. ever want to make her feel that it's nothing you could have done. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, because, you know, it's not like a molester is holding a sign saying, I'm going to do this to your child. So it's nothing they could have done. So I protected them for a long time. Um, and it wasn't until I met Mike that I was, I felt I was able to express. Like I, you know, that's when the, I was a self-harmer. That's when that came out. You're talking about, I held that for 20 some odd years right. in corporate rooms, in board meetings. Nobody knew, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I think we, I think we become very, um, skilled in hiding our pain and find other ways of dealing with it. Um, you know, for myself, I think it just came in depression and anxiety and, uh, and low self-esteem. Um, you know, even right now, back on this journey of rediscovering myself, reloving myself, um, people are saying it's beautiful to watch, but I, I can't even express how amazing it feels to be in it. Right. Um, because after you are, and not everybody may experience this, um, just from my personal experience, after my sexual assault, I became very detached from my body, um, how it looked, how it felt. I was just all, all disgusted of who I was. Um, and there was nothing that could change that, my disgust. So, you know, I think, um, realizing like you said, forgiving is not for that person, um, that it's really for you. Mm-hmm. That's that's a hard thing to understand because you're like, I don't, how is me forgiving this person for me? <laughs> right, right. And hot-headed you is like, no, it ain't. It's for them and I'm not giving them anything. I, rem- I cussed the therapist out. He told me, write a letter. Write a letter to your mama. I was so mad when I left that man. But listen, baby. About three months later, I wrote that letter. Mm. It was the most freeing experience of my life. You know, just to put it on paper. Because I think the the most unfortunate part about trauma is the person never knows the actual impacts that they give you. Mm -hmm. And what they do to your life. Like, you detach from your body. I remember being pissed at my body. Like, how did... I think we talked about this. We did a little bit. Right. And so how do I want to be with something that betrayed me in such a way? Yep. I don't. I don't. It's worth nothing. You can have whatever you want from me because it doesn't mean a thing to me. Right. Right. Um, and so it's like it, even relationships, whatever, it just the impact doesn't stop at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so to write that letter, I got to say it all. It was it was amazing. So let's talk about. You know, like you said, you said with relationships. So how did you learn to trust Mike? How did you end up, how did, how did, how did that happen? How he get your heart? <laughs> I was weak. No, <laughs> Listen, the turnaround for Mike and I, because let's be real. I met Mike online playing dominoes. Did you know that? I did. Oh my God. Y'all are so country. Um, It's Maine. Where are you going to date at? Uh, It's where? Please tell me. Um, And 
but we had we had actually moved in together and he saw cuts on me. Mm. I was in a very bad place. And I remember he just held me. He did not judge me. He asked me why. And he looked me in my eye and he said, you know, my heart breaks for you. That you would ever feel that was necessary. And he gave me that safe space that I've never had in life. Um, and I, because I could trust him with that, that was, that was the be all for me. I've never had that. I've never cared enough about a man to to give them that either. Right. Right. Or or, or even probably felt that a man cared about you enough to allow you to be yourself or allow you to be free in that way. And, um, because I think one thing that I realized being in this dating world, it's very interesting. Um, anybody who is dating right now, I'm so sorry. Amen. It is trash. It is trash. Well, if you're married and unhappy, just stay married and unhappy. <laughs> I'm telling you. Amen. I'm just, I'm just, I know that doesn't sound right. I'm just it's letting true. you know. It is The dating scene is trash. Uh-uh. But, but I think because... People aren't used to being communicative. People aren't used to being vulnerable. That you're in this almost like a loop of everybody is just this one way, but everybody's coming to a relationship with certain traumas and traumas that they may not be ready to heal from. Not saying that you have to be someone's um, therapist because everybody should be in therapy. Everybody needs to have their own therapist. I will reiterate that in every conversation I have on this podcast. But I think the thing that I see or have seen is missing is grace. Mm -hmm. There's no grace in the dating scene anymore. No, It's like, oh, you do this one thing that I don't understand. That's weird. I'm leaving. That's it. It's like, what? And so, so for someone who... You know, as we as we discussed privately, you know, um, you have low self esteem, all these other things that you're trying to rebuild, and tr- you want t- to be in a relationship, but it's hard because right. people tend to um, reiterate the things that you already tell yourself. Absolutely. And, and I so, don't need you to tell me. My voice is loud enough. It's loud enough. I don't need you to be my echo. No. I need you to actually be the my opposing thoughts. Thank you. Right. You know? Right. So what does so when you're empowering these women, what does that look like? Like say if there was someone who is listening to this who may need some empowerment or need um words of encouragement, um and or hasn't even told anybody that they're a sexual assault or just have trauma. Just have trauma period, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. Everybody's different, right? Um, I usually find that the women that I am put in front of have never been validated, even as a child, right? And I take it for granted. I've always, my parents made sure my head was so big that nobody would ever have to feel it. Um, and But I find that so heartbreaking. Um, and I it usually starts there. I had someone tell me, a couple weeks ago, I was the first person in their life who said they were proud of them. It doesn't have to be anything monumental, right? Um, and so I try to celebrate their small victories because to us, it may be small, to them it's huge. 
Um, and just being that voice, like, of course you can. Can I go back to school? Yes, you can. Why can't you? What What makes you not able to? Am I a good mom? Of course you are, because you're doing better than what you were given, right? Let's, so let's pull out those positives and bounce off that. Um, you know what the negatives are. We don't have to. We don't have to talk about them for what, right? Those positives is the new beginning for you. So that's. I just try to look deep, deeper than I think what's superficially is shown to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, because even if I think about your story, mm-hmm. you're back in school. Mm-hmm. So you're even probably, you know, people are looking at you and they're like, how, how did, so how did you decide to go back to school, Matisse? What, what was that? Honestly, yeah. I work in workforce man- and development. I was the education liaison for my, for my agency. And I felt like a fraud. I was telling these people to go back to school. And do you, you know, I left college my senior year. Sorry. I left college my January of my senior year. Wow. Broke everybody's heart. Just because I, you know, I don't want to do this. That, you know, Matisse flighty is all get out. And so I'm sitting up there like, how am I sending you back to school? But I haven't done it myself. And so when I would get resistance, I'm like, okay, we're going to do this together. Let's go. And so um, I I want my dad to be proud. My dad is, I don't know why it's always my daddy. Because he's proud. But um, that's my biggest push, him and Mason and Mike. I want them to be proud. Um I've done gone through this whole rebuilding phase, right? And I think that's the last piece of that for me um, in my eyes, right? Um, to give, and God knows my daddy didn't get to go to college. He had to go to the Navy to support me. And I took that for granted at the time. So this is giving him something back and um, proving to the naysayers I could do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Could you graduate when? May 22. Woo-hoo. I'm about to, they about to write laws about me. Oh my God. <laughs> and what's your Look, degree in? Uh, mental health, applied science and mental health. Um, and so then I will be in Orono fall 22. Um, and I will be getting my master's degree. What? We're going to go ahead and do it. Before what? Mason turns 12, listen, let's go ahead. Let's get it. Wow. After Look the semester, I'm trying to really feel like if I'm going to actually go, but it's fine. <laughs> now I'm going to finish. I have to. Look at that. Because, I mean, I think about, like, let, let's even, I, let's go back a little bit. Because I remember uh, you went away for a little bit. Yeah. And. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We went, you went away for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I found out later <laughs> that why you were gone. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, no judgment. Love you still. But yeah, and, and I think you coming back. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. What was it like coming home? Coming home. Oh, my God. It was breathtaking. You know, you figure I have been through, I have come back a few times in life. Um, but that one, I Mason was nine months old. I missed his first walk. Um, he said mama to somebody else, but told me on the phone. Um, so I have been given this gr- the greatest gift of my life. 
and I screwed it up. Right. And so coming home, I remember Mike was like, he may not, he may not know who you are. Maybe it's like, give it time, give it time. And when my baby came out, hands up for his mama. Oh my God. I just, I vowed that moment to never do anything in life that would take me away from him. Right. No matter what I had to do. Um, and it let us be clear though, the, one of the biggest things that took me away from him was, you know, pride and feel, fear of failure and of letting people down. Now I'm just, I'm honest about it. Look, I may not make what I think I'm going to do, but we're a work in progress. You know what I mean? Right. It was always having that conversation and so scared of judgment and mm-hmm. disappointment, but there's nothing more disappointing than your mama seeing you in an ugly orange that don't match your color. <laughs> not that it doesn't match your color. Girl. I can wear most colors, but that ain't it. <laughs> that is not it. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I mean, I think about that. And I also think about the first time you came back to church after that. Ooh. What was that like? Ooh, I, ooh, <laughs> that was oddly a women's weekend. Pastor Sorrell was preaching. My hair, I was finally got it permed because it was looking a hot mess before. Um, and I just remember feeling very like I was going to be too prominent. Like I was going to be too seen, too noticed. Um, and I, I was very guarded, right? And I just remember your, your father in all points of time since I've known him, when I've had to rebuild or I've gone through something, that man's hugs can cure anything. <laughs> and um, That's sweet. He went, but he did with Mike too, right? When Mike went through his thing. Mm-hmm. I've never seen two grown men hug as intensely as they did. And he makes you feel like you're going to be okay. It's all right. And once you get that, you could, you could rock with anything. I was fine after that. Yeah. I think, you know, I think is interesting is to see the relationship between my dad and um, his congregants, because I think in many ways it is a father figure. Yes. Um, And like even for people like Mike, who I think they're around the same age, (laughs) you know, like, you know, he is up. (laughs) Mike will be 52 this year, girl. Okay, Daddy's older, but not by much, you know, like. You know, so to see that people have that um, respect for him is very interesting. But to also know that he doesn't judge, um, did that did that give you any peace? I, I knew at that point he didn't judge. I don't know if I was so much worried about the pastor as I was worried about everybody else. Mm. You know, church church people messy. I mean, Ooh. we love you, we welcome you, come as you are. But we well, um, come as oh, actually, it's come as you are, but you kind of have to look like you already belong there. Right. It's just, um, right. That's what that means. Right. And yeah. um, especially what women, because we are some ugly creatures. I mean, let's be real. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And that was my worry more so than anything. Mm-hmm. Back to the whole being a good mom. Mm-hmm. How honest are you with Mason about? the things that you've gone through and how do you like make sure that he doesn't go down a similar path? I'm overly honest. Michael tell you I'm too honest, mm. but I Mason said to me, 
when Mike went through his stuff, he made me promise I would never lie to him. And so I don't. And so we deal with it. We have conversations. And I, I think I, my hope is because we have those conversations and I answer every question he ever has, even those annoying ones, because God knows that baby don't stop asking questions. Um, I'm hoping that foundation, right, of being able to have a safe place no matter what will be good. Um, Mason also has that foundation here. All them aunties. Um, I still threaten him with your father. Um, I, I, yes, I have a list of people I threaten him with and he smartens up. Yeah. I love that. I'm on that list. <laughs> Listen, you are the drill sergeant auntie. The other auntie's fun, but auntie, let's yeah. look at that He's <laughs> like, don't call her mom. Don't call her. Don't call her. We'll tell her. I've been don't good. Go. I've been good. <laughs> It's that eyebrow you raise. He's like, nah, man. And that I like cut it out. Voice. But that's my Buddha. And he, <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, that's what I love. Or that's a part of my relationship with Mason that I really, that Mason respects me. He always has. But Mason loves me. He, sure. if he sees me, he's running to me. Yep. To give me a hug. Yep. You know, but he know we don't play. We play, but we don't play. We don't play. You will right. you will respect when Lissa's around. Right. Like, I, did you just say what to your mother? That's not <laughs> happening. And he's like, sorry, sorry. Yes, mom. <laughs> Come on home with me now. Because you know, like, he knows. And that's what I, that's why. And, you know, I love that my friends allow me to be in their kids' lives in that way. Right. Um, because... Mason would sit with me in church and just want to sit and hold my mic, you know? Right. Like that's You remember he when was. he was not even three? He was home. I have a video singing Amen. He was singing Amen, but he was also saying every praise. Mm-hmm. And I said, Who's saying that? Honey Lissa? And he had so much <laughs> attitude about it. Girl, I knew then y'all has this love affair. Yes, mm-hmm. girl. <laughs> that's my boo. That's yes. my boo. You gave him his love for gospel. And at two years old, he was singing Rans Allen and saying, this is what I'm singing. Amen. <laughs> My whole heart, literally. Tell me what you love about being a career specialist. I love that I see people at their absolute worst. Mm. And no matter how big or small, every day I know I make an impact. And the impact I make goes further, right, to their children. Because ultimately, I work for their kids. I don't work for these grown people. I work so that their children can have a better future. And maybe in hopes of breaking that generational poverty, right? And um, when you see the gratitude from, like, something so insignificant to me, that that just makes my world. It really does. Like... Even on those hard days, it's amazing. It really mm-hmm. is. That's what I was about to say. So it's because you see people at their absolute worst. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure in some of those spaces, you can really, really not just empathize, but sympathize. Right. You know, been there. Well, don't forget, I was a participant before. Right. So when I know what it's like to have a bad one, and I picked the things that were good, even in the bad ones. And I just try to build off that every day. But I know. So they can't BS me. But I also understand where they are. Mm-hmm. So it gives a whole new meaning to meeting people where they are, which is, you know, mental health um, whole playing ground. That's what we live off of. Mm-hmm. I really can't meet them where they are because I've been there. 
And so does it ever trigger you? Not trigger. It always keeps me humble. Mm, let's talk about it. I never had humility before, girl. I even I would even dare say when I had my little vacation, I didn't learn true humility until I had to wait, walk into a state office and say, I love you so much for calling it a vacation. <laughs> I love you. so. I'm sorry. I had to cut you off. Black people. Look, look, we ain't they went talk. away. We look. ain't said jail not once, but you called a vacation. I, I love Jamaica. it. Girl, for all those who listen to Jamaica, I said, um, <laughs> you don't, you don't understand how low it is until you're walking to a building, state building, asking for help to feed your child. You know, I come from a two parent family like, like, like you do, right? Mm-hmm. My parents have always, I was not brought up to be in poverty. My decisions, my mistakes put me there, or circumstances put me there. Um, but that was not my my destiny. So I remember my shoulders were slunk, and I was like, oh, my God, don't see me. You know, I'm in Augusta. It's a very big little town. Everybody knows you. Um, and I just, I, you, that feeling you can never unfeel. So I think part of my success is that I'm able to see that in others, relate to it, and speak to it. Like, I get you. I've been there. Let's move on. This is it. You don't have to stay there, you know? Right. And not only that, but there's no shame there. And I think that that, you know, it. I think for, if I could say it's a full circle moment too, right? Someone who's had trauma, someone who has had all these different um, obstacles and things with adversity, to be in a place to to have to be humbled and then to be in a place where you can allow people the space to not feel shame yeah. for their situation mm. um almost like you're giving them the same space Mike gave you yeah L- let's talk about how coming home from from that mm-hmm. and then ending up in a career how what was that path like Whew. Yeah. Now, Alyssa, you know me very well. Mm-hmm. When your girl came home, I didn't care what it what it was I did. I went to a little feed farm store in Brunswick, and I cleaned rat shit. Mm. You know I'm not touching no animals. Right? Girl. Let alone a rat. Hello. I'm going to have to move my weave to touch a weave. Like, let's put that in perspective. Okay. So then move forward. Uh... Where did I go after that? Oh, I went to the dentist's office. I was being a dental assistant. And then, of course, true Matisse fashion, tragedy strikes again. And um, I was put down for the count for a while. Went to the office, got a job. I was volunteering, got a job at the state. Um, and there was this lovely, you know, that lovely question that is no longer supposed to be there anymore. Um, and I always answer it, right? Um, and I disclose, but I didn't disclose enough. Mm. And they walked me out eight days later. Oh, wow. And I didn't get off of my couch for a week. I was stinking and I was ugly. And my employment specialist at the time, they were after me to to work at um, at my agency, I'm like, y'all couldn't pay me enough to work in here with these crazy people. Uh, fast forward 
almost four years later, they pay me enough to work with these crazy people and I love it. Um, but the, the what I love and what I'm always so grateful for with this job is that I was completely and absolutely transparent. So when they gave it to me, they couldn't take it away. Right. Um, and so what it's another thing that I, I, I do with my people who have colorful backgrounds is a passion of mine. Um, I make them write. Um, it's called a letter of explanation. This is what I did. This is what I learned. And this is where I'm going. And if you take the power out of the charge, they can hold it against you. So, um, and so because is I that your that own personal thing that you have them do? Yeah. I love that Matisse. Yeah. And it's, you know what? I was telling someone early, I've not had anyone come back and say it hasn't worked. Wow. Because it's very, how can you look somebody who said, you know, they just honest, take me as yeah. I am. Like, Don't take me, but how can you not give them a chance? Really? Yeah. I um, love that. It's, yeah. It's because we try to hide from it and um, all of that, that I think we don't, give people with colorful backgrounds a chance. And um, so that's my mission, right? That's, that's, that's one of my big passions for sure. Yeah. I think it's mine too. When I'm in, I'm in human resources Mm -hmm. and I just see that there's just a lot of people who don't get the opportunity to have career paths and they are almost always delegated to construction and high risk jobs and things of that nature. Food service. And not saying that those jobs are bad jobs, but why can't someone with a colorful background, depending on the, especially if they've learned something from this, if they're not trying to be in that space anymore, they want to do better for themselves. If we're, if we're supposed to be helping to help these people have a quality of life, why aren't they getting the same chances as you and I who, uh, or me who may do things in this world, but ain't been caught. Don't let's not talk about that. <laughs> I'm just, but, 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 but let's be real about it. Right. And especially if we, especially if we bring race into it, right. Are the black men in this world who are not getting the chances, but Tim and Tom are, are right. Because, you know, you know, I, I am very sensitive to that fact because, you know, we always throw the black men in Maine, they, they must be a pharmacist, right? They must be street pharmacists. Mm-hmm. But I'm just here to tell you, I know a very white man who is a street pharmacist who still gets uh, chances. Um, and so what makes him any different? Right. You have to speak to that. Then nothing makes him different other than his ability to speak to it and um, not shy away from it. Right. That he's not put in that same box. And I find that sad, heartbreaking. Right. Some of the best people and most ingenuitive people I've ever known. Come on, genuitive. Come on, genuitive. $10 word I was going to use tonight, but that was it. My head tired. But look, some of the most goddamn brightest people I've ever known were incarcerated or have backgrounds. Who in the state of Maine, besides your family, let's leave y'all out of it. Who in the state of Maine don't have a record of some of some kind? Forty percent of uh, Cumberland County's females that are in there have a theft charge. We're treating theft worse than we're treating drug dealing. 
mm-hmm. worse than we're treating sex trafficking. So what mm-hmm. kind of what kind of life are they gonna have? Right. Man. Yeah, I think that, I mean, in the human resource world, if, you know, even when I speak to some of my friends, they're like, well, the first question I ask is, what's your charge? Right. And if they tell me, literally, it could be anything, but if it if it's theft, it's very hard for you to get a job. Right. And I'm just like, that is mind-blowing right. to me. So I pull background checks in my job. I have to, if I want to mm-hmm. put them through school. And so some of these background checks I'm getting, man, listen. You know, $25 at Walmart because you were, you know, because it was coffee or because it was dog food or because it was diapers. I think that is the unfortunate part about background checks and paper. You don't have a story. Mm. Not that that it's an excusable thing, Mm -hmm. but there's more to it than what that charge is. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other part to it is that what they don't tell people in the criminal justice uh, when they're in the in the system is that when you take these deals your first charge still shows up, right? Mm. So when people are disclosing, they're thinking, oh, I got a class C misdemeanor. No, boo, you still, they're still showing your class B initially, wow. right? So if you don't disclose that, you look like a liar. Mm. Girl, they, they just tricky. They tricky. Right. right. I would have never thought that. Why would I you? mean, because I, right. The DA don't tell you you're not getting it. They take these deferred dispositions. You do a year, you're not going to have a felony, but they never tell you. It's still going to show up. Wow. Right. Because, you know, once you commit a crime, you're a throwaway. You don't matter. You're never going to go past the circumstances in, you know, society's eyes. So why would they tell you? You're just going to be a repeat offender anyway. I was about to say, they're probably just hoping that you're just going to repeat in and out of the system. Girl. (sighs) So... Again, just like we talk to the women that may need some empowerment, what would you say? To, because, you know, for me, Matisse, the reason why I just knew I needed to talk to you because your story, it has so much to it. It's, it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's exhausting. I would say it's rich in flavor. Yeah. Over my ADD. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just think that you are such an overcomer of a lot. Things that would really put someone on their ass. Yet, you continue to strive to do not just better, but your best. And so I think stories like that, just like I plan on having um, one of my friends on here, he's a pastor and he just graduated from Yale Mm. And his whole model is from jail to Yale. That's, sir. He, I mean, I can't wait for people to hear his story because yeah. he's been in art. They, they've written articles about him. He's, he, I mean, it's just, his story is just amazing. Mm-hmm. But it shows that your past does not show what your future or what your present can be or what you're possible of doing. Right. Um, your past is a part of your story. It's not the That's ending, it. you know? Nope. And so um, I would love to, and from, you, you could talk from Matisse, personal mm-hmm. experience, or you can even talk as, you know, your, your specialty from your job, but, or both, give us both. Mm-hmm. But I want to know what kind of encouragement you're going to give people who do have colorful backgrounds and may feel as if they're losing that hope of, 
if they're ever going to find something or, or a place to um, give them a chance or if they feel like they have to go back to the life that mm-hmm. was actually helping them feed their family. Right. I, I would just say, as you said, it, it's not the end of your story, nor does it define you. What's going to define me is what I'm doing now. Right. It's my it's my rebuilding. It's my how I overcome. That's what defines you. It's not the mistakes um, that you have made. Um, And there's always an opportunity out there. Tyler Perry said it one time. Right. If there's not a seat at the table, make your own. That's what I'm I'm creating my my seat. They Mm. didn't want me in that building, but they can't take me away now. Right. Um, And so you have to show people why they why you deserve the chance it's easier to continue down a path because nobody nobody expects any different it's harder to do better it's harder to walk the path of integrity but it's so much better right Mm -hmm. it's so it's so much more rewarding and it's so fulfilling um so if you it may be hard some days and not all days are pretty um, but there's something for you, right? Um, and we just have to figure out what that is and build off that. There's so many things that I love about that. And I think, you know, it goes back to what your you said your favorite quote and mantra is. Do you remember what you said it was? No, remind me because I got so many. You will have to work twice oh. as hard to oh, be seen half, seen as, half good. as good as the worst. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about it. I just been. Oh my God! I am not gonna cry on your. I said I'm not gonna cry on your show, girl. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I had just finished interviewing for the last month and a half for a promotion, right? So when I I originally applied for my my home site. Um, and that didn't work out because someone was transferring. So someone called me for um, a site 30 minutes down the road. I said, okay, cool. And when I had my initial interview, I was gifted with a list of things I had to get done for this mm. interview. Um, and so I had them all completed within three days because that's who I am. Um, and I've worked triple time in the last month and a half. Mm-hmm. And today I got the call that they decided to go a different direction. Now, mm-hmm. And so let me preface this by saying I love, my, I love who I work with. And the person who interviewed me, I knew she had a hard time, right, with her decision. Um, and she said it's what's best for me because ultimately my original choice is going to come back to play. And that's where I belong. Um, but when I tell you, I sat at my office, I ate a whole bunch of food. I did not need to be eating. And I cried for five minutes and I called my mom and I'm like, I just don't feel good enough. I don't, I don't like, what else I got to do? I didn't interview harder than anybody else in this history. They still didn't want me. Um, and it, 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 it makes that relevant, right? You have to work twice as hard to be seen half as good as they were. The person who beat me out does not have the the stats that I do, nor did complete completed the things I did. And I'm still not half as good. Mm. That's crazy, man. I was like, <gasps> but, you know, on to the next. Rebuilding once again. But, you know, and but not only that, but I think sometimes we, this is where 
faith steps in, right? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes the thing that we think we're supposed to have is not meant for us. It's not meant for you. Oh, what's my favorite sermon, Lilith? So what's my favorite sermon? A delay? Uh, It's not a denial. But yeah, you know, it does not mean that... Because what, like you said, what's meant for you is for you. Because, you know, they didn't want you in that building, but where are you? They can't take... They can't, you know? And so it's not that... That job wasn't yours. Right. What's yours will come. Absolutely. You know? But, you know, sometimes we're not as patient <laughs> mm-hmm. as we should be. I don't have any. Uh, oh, your enti- this entire your entire story has is, is about being pa- Maybe that. <laughs> well, see, I mean, I guess we. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, the entire. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, Jesus, come on now. Come on. I got, I got time left. Um, right. But I mean, you're right. You're right. It, I mean, it is about patience and it is about knowing what you may be protected from and um, what is best for you, what's going to make you happiest. And uh, and I have to trust in that. It still it hurts at times. Right. Um, because you and it, but it's a testament to how we could put our all into something and it still not work. Mm. What are you going to do? Oh, what's the alternative? Give up. I still got a job. Right. So what I'm crying for? I, while I'm putting on pounds, I don't need. <laughs> but you know employed. what? <laughs> you are still employed. But I think what is beautiful in that is that sometimes we don't allow ourselves to feel what hurts. Right. Yeah. I think we tend to write it off and be like, ah, I didn't really want that anyway. But when you put your all into something and then it just does not work out. Mm-hmm. That's energy you can't get back. That's time you can't get back. That's sleep you can't get back. And you know, when you're interviewing and you hope you get the job, everything not working, you get, you either constipated or you like, you just, you got a headache for no reason. It's just, your body is out of whack. Right. Because you are just focused on whatever it is that you need to do. And so it's, it's very uh, engulfing. Yep. So I can see why there would be that dang. But like you said, what's the alternative? Right. Right. Giving up. Right. And, and that's just not something that's in my genetic makeup, unfortunately. So, you know, we'll keep it pushing um, and we'll learn from it. Right. Because what the beautiful part is, believe it or not, I am not as uh, out there in my professional life as I am in my personal. Um, I mm. think we... I've always felt that we women of color have to kind of be quiet more so than out there loud and proud. Um, and my mom has always said, you, you move in silence, right? You don't have to be the loudest person talking. Um, and so I, I build my career that way. Um, but this opportunity, one of the things they said, is they wanted me to be more present on teams. And so, you know, say less. I'm a tease. I'm going to be out there loud and proud. And I have been. Um, and it's allowed me to be who I am. And, um, I, I, that was the greatest gift. And so I thanked her for the, for the experience because she gave me that. Right. And, and I think that's an amazing fit. Yeah. Let's even talk about that a little bit, because, you know, one thing that I, as in people who are friends with me on my social media would know this, but I started a new job. Um, and I'm working at a prestigious art museum now. And I said to my boss, that like I, I've stopped to think about so often 
that I'm a black woman mm. with locks, mm. a nose ring, mm. and I am proud to be a black woman. I don't shy away from that. I don't shy away from the conversations of the things that my community deals with, that there's a lack of representation in certain places. I think when I show up, I not that I'm the voice of Black Portland, but I definitely think that I try to represent my community and what my community may need or and what my community is missing and how whatever company I'm at, how they can help that. Right. So it's not lost on me that I'm a Black woman mm. with locks and a nose ring mm-hmm. working at a prestigious art museum. Right. And I did not have to change one thing about that. myself mm-hmm. to get this job. Right. Every day I get to show up as myself. Mm. And I don't think a lot of people have that experience. So, t- so tell us about what that feels like. What does it feel like to be able to show up at your job mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. as yourself? It's empowering, right? It, it's it's truth. I, but, and so I wonder, I wondered after I had this conversation with her, is it us that makes, do we put it on to them? Right. Nobody told me I had to be quiet. Nobody told me I had to change who I was. I just felt like I did because I feel like we're always ostracized. Right. Like we already stand out. I don't need to stand out no more. Let me go into the background. And so maybe we do it to ourselves. But now, um, because the feedback from Matisse being out there and lending myself to different things, and um, it's been so welcomed, um, and it's it's heartwarming, right? Like, all right, I'm here. Like now, I'm at my seat, and right. um, that that's again a feeling like no other, mm-hmm. honestly. So while Matisse is taking care of everybody else, making sure everybody gets a job, you got a baby and a husband and, you know, you got stepkids and all this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. What does Matisse do to take care of Matisse? Matisse don't. (laughs) (laughs) Where? Where? What's Uh, it look like? Alyssa? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. No, real talk. I do. um, I read. I do read. Um, and I, I have to, with this job, man, listen, um, it's called, uh, what is it called? Compassion, uh, what, compassion burnout. It's like all kinds of different things, um, that it can be, uh, oh, compassion fatigue. So when COVID first happened, it was nothing but crisis calls all day, every day for eight hours. And it was trying to find resources, but I could not fix anything because all all of our hands are tied right we go remote we can't help you i can't go to your house i can't check on you i'm not hearing from you there's nothing i can do and um so that work-life balance went out the window um and i really felt burnout for the first time and that was incredibly hard to come through um so now that that has taught me you can't right so five o'clock it has to go somewhere and it can't come in my home because mm-hmm. it takes time away from my child. Mm-hmm. Like my, you know, you can't come in here angry every day and not ask Mason how his day is. Those right. are those are his formative years. He has to talk to his mama. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't help everybody else and not help my family. And so it's a hard lesson. 
Um, and there's nights I don't sleep, but I think I, I have wasted a lot of time throughout the year. So, I mean, it's hard right now. It won't be hard forever. And that's why mm-hmm. I say when I'm tired, like I'm tired, but you know, I'll get to rest one day. Well, you know, you always get mad at me cause I don't invite you out, but I'd be like, Matisse be sleep. If she was, if she would have come out with me, Listen. she'd be in the corner somewhere and be like, can we go home? Like we just got here, Matisse. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about last time I went out with you? My legs still not gotten clean from that. Oh time. my goodness. Can we talk? Okay. So <laughs> let's talk about this. Okay. <laughs> We went to North Carolina, okay? Mm. And I don't know what was going on, but Matisse was attracting all the men's, okay? All, all, all the men's, okay? We, we go to. Look, I had the granddad too, right? All the men's, okay? <laughs> like, we were in a club. And all I see is Matisse doing the matrix because someone is trying to talk to her in her ear. And homegirl was like, like diving. It was hilarious. So then, so then we think it's the dress. I don't, do you have that dress anymore? I ain't seen her wear that dress since. And this was like four years ago. She will not put it on. (laughs) she will not put it on and it wasn't even like a risque dress it was like a it was it it was a button Alyssa. it was like a collar it was to the knee but i think but i think my favorite part of this entire trip was being outside and someone came up to her and be like you want molly or percocet and then like was shaking on her and we're like can you back up oh my god for real. It was, it was awful. I was like, and I'm all wide-eyed like, what do you mean? Oh, my God, girl. I'm from Maine. You said, did you just ask me if I wanted drugs? <laughs> my, this is my pastor's daughter. <laughs> Yo. Oh, my God. Matisse ain't wore that blue dress since. It's, it's going to get framed, man. It has to. It on me since. <laughs> oh, that's because you need to put it on. Because, right. oh, I'm my Oh my gosh. Oh my she got, God. I mean, walking. And it doesn't help that, like, she's very bodacious, okay? That's probably what it was. That is what it was. We we were in the South. Right. And they, but you got, you were hit on all night. We couldn't leave, we couldn't leave Matisse by herself. <laughs> I, tell pe- I tell people all the time if you need to get your groove back, if you suffer a breakup, go to, go to the South because my people are going to love you. Oh my goodness! No matter how big you are or not, they go. Come it's on, gonna make girl. you sick. You can be like, "Did you just ask me? Drugs is not a date opening, is, sir." Right? Would you like some Molly? It's not. You didn't ask me to go to dinner. You didn't <laughs> ask me to pick two for twenty two. You asked me for some illicit drugs, girl. And was and he was he was like shaking on you. It was just he, uh, that's what it was. He shook on my leg. Who shakes on someone's leg? I still don't understand the move. I, <laughs> What I love is that you said your leg still hasn't healed from that. That was like four years ago. And you, it's it still. Don't be the same. Listen to damn gospel concerts. Who knew? I went to a gospel concert. Right? That's why we went down there. That's the oh part that cracks us up the most. Oh, my God. You remember how sweaty we were? Girl. It was It was bad. <sighs> Yeah, but you got hit on a lot. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Just not my knee. Not my knee. Right. 
he was. He was shaking on you. You were like, can you stop rubbing on her, please? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at it right now like, why? <laughs> why is that the sexy part? She back. could not wait to go ho- to the hotel and take a shower. She was like, can we leave now? <laughs> he was rubbing on me. <laughs> God. But those are good, good times. Pilot. I was about to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. really good time. I'm proud of you. That's I think that's the part that is great about this is, you know, seeing your story up close and watching and, you know, been there for the times where you've wanted to give up mm. and was like, I'm done with all of this. You know, I mean, we didn't even get into cancer. Ooh. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Ooh. Matisse has been through uh, stuff and just has really just always conquered that obstacle just what's, you and god what's alternative what is the alternative there isn't one right um oh jesus when i that it seems like lifetimes ago a lot of times um that's one that 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 big c right that hits everybody mm-hmm. i didn't see that one coming I did not see that shit coming. Right. Um, I mean, I remember when you told, I was like, another thing? Right. And I, I still don't know that, that I, I refuse to let that be the thing that breaks me, Mm. but it broke me for the longest. And part of my rebuild and part of my passion and my drive is I don't want to be known as Matisse, the cancer patient. Don't look at me and say I'm sick because then I feel sick. I'm not sick. Nope. You look at me as Matisse, the mama, the career specialist, the sexual abuse, assault survivor, overcomer. Don't look at me like I'm a patient. And um, that's what pushes me. That That's part of the reason why I want to go back to school because that's, that's what I would rather be known for last Mm. You think people use that against you in ways or tried to pity you in that? I don't, I don't allow it. Right. I, I, it's funny because I am that, that, um, lack of a better word. I'm, I'm that attention whore, right? I'm a Gemini. We always want the attention on us. And this is, Oh my God, you're a Gemini. This makes so much sense. Okay, go ahead. my, My evil twin. You can see her, right? Um, this is one I did not want attention for. And I remember mm. my, I, my dad, my dad was, I think, trying to come to terms. Um, and he would say, my daughter's sick, my daughter's sick. And I was like, dad, d- no, don't know I need to know. Um, and I, I, I just refuse to let people pity me. There's people who have it far worse than I do. First of all, I'm still standing. Um, we are two years past my expiration date. There's people who didn't get there. So why does that have to be my defining moment? It don't. Um, but that's the one, if anything was going to break me, it's going to be that for sure. Cause it did for a long time. Um, and I think when my son had to, had to pick my head up, he on, on treatment days, he would um, hold my hand or he would help me when I was sick. And I just refuse. 
to go down like that, you know? Yeah. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like, we ain't going to really go into that Girl. one. Yeah. Shit. I know. But if you could leave people with one last thing, mm-hmm. what's the one last thing you'd want to tell my audience? Don't put it was. This is another quote of mine, right? Don't put a period where there should be a comma. There's always room to grow, uh, to rebuild, to overcome. You just have to figure out your path to do so. Right. And um, build a tribe to get there if you don't have one. That's one of the things I always tell my people. You don't have a tribe, build one. And they'll help you get there. Right. They sure will. Oh, my God. (laughs) This was so great. You did such a good job. I'm so proud of you. You know, that means more than, than you know to hear that. Oh, I know. Thank you. Yeah, girl, please. Uh, but I can't wait for everybody to hear this because it's a topic and a discussion that's so needed. And um, I applaud you and thank you for your transparency. Thank this you. is great. <laughs>